0: Hi and welcome. Great that you are with us today. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Al. I'm one of the pastors here at Gateway. And it's my privilege just to open up the Word of God to us today. One of the realities for every single one of us is that there are seasons of life that are marked by waiting, delay and frustrations. And for many of you watching, you will be in one of these seasons of life. Maybe you're watching and there's dreams and desires that you have in your life that you're waiting to see fulfilled. Maybe there are promises over your life that have yet to come to pass. Maybe you're struggling with your health as you're watching this and you're crying out, how long until I get better? Or you have ongoing financial difficulties and there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Or maybe you're just living life and you're feeling disappointed in their struggles and you're just wondering how long these are going to last. Or maybe you're watching and you have family members that are not walking with Jesus and you're praying and you're seeking God, but nothing seems to be happening. These are seasons, these are realities of life for each one of us at various points Of our lives. And right now, as we live in this global pandemic, we're all living in a moment of waiting. None of us know how long this is going to continue for. There is a lot of uncertainty. And let's be honest, it's a sense of uncertainty. This season feels long, it's a difficult one for us each to navigate. And last week, didn't we, we heard the Prime Minister talk about squeezing the brakes on the easing of lockdown and that we may well have reached the limits of where we can go with the, the release of restrictions for us at the moment. And it adds to that sense of uncertainty, of waiting and of delay that we are all facing and finding ourselves in, in this cultural and global moment. And so today I want to ask us a very simple Question, and we're going to do that by looking at the book of Exodus chapter 32. The question is this, in seasons of waiting and delay and frustrations, where do you invest your time, energy, money and attention? You see, delays, seasons of waiting have a real tendency to expose our hearts for what they really want or long for or what we truly worship And the reality is we are all worshipers. We all worship something or someone, and whatever our heart desires most is the thing that we ultimately worship. And maybe you're watching this and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, and you think, well, I'm not a worshiper. We are all worshipers. We all worship something or someone. And the question, if you're watching this and you're not a follower of Jesus, is, is what you're worshiping, going to bring you fulfilment and satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. And whilst we find seasons of waiting and delay so hard to navigate and they're they're so stretching for us, God wants to use these times of life to to deepen our dependency upon him. In fact, he uses moments of delay to bring us into maturity of faith to purify our faith and to refine it, that we might learn wholehearted devotion to him. And so as I said a moment ago, we're going to be basing ourselves in Exodus 32 uh, today. If you've been with us over recent weeks, you'll know that we've been tracking through the second half of the book of Exodus. And the story so far in this wonderful book is that God's people were enslaved in the land of Egypt. And God dramatically rescues them out of slavery and oppression in Egypt. And he brings them out across the Red Sea to the foot of Mount Sinai, and he brings them into freedom. And it's at Mount Sinai that he commissions them to be his people. He makes a covenant promise with them. He makes a special relationship with them that they would be God's representatives on earth and that they would bring the blessing of God to the nations of the world. And this covenant promise is founded on uh, how they will live and how they will worship and and God sets out these rules and these regulations, you know, some of which are the 10 commandments which we've talked about and they eagerly accept and they say, yes, we're all in. We wanna live this way. We wanna worship God who has rescued us and redeem us. And then they have this dramatic encounter with God. And after this, Moses goes up the mountain to meet with God for 40 days. And that's when we pick up the story in Exodus chapter 32. If you've got your Bible, why don't you just turn there? We're gonna read the first 14 verses. When the people saw that Moses had delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool, and they made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before her. An altar is like a place of worship. And Aaron made a declaration and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and they offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Moses is at the top of the mountain, remember, he's been there for 40 days in the presence of God. God says to him, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. God saw exactly what they were up to. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath might burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent, did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever." And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. So Moses had been up the mountain with God for 40 days. And in that 40 day period, the people of God, the Israelites, had grown restless and weary of waiting. In their view, Moses and God were just taking a little bit too Despite having waited 400 years to be released from slavery, after 40 days they decided that God was taking a little bit too long. And the waiting actually revealed something about their hearts and what they were truly worshipping. And so they approach Aaron. Remember, Aaron is Moses' sidekick. He's he's been in the presence of God. He's been there this whole time. He's seen how God has worked these amazing miracles of bringing them out of slavery, crossing the Red Sea. He's encountered God on the mountain. And they, they come to Aaron. They say, Aaron, build us a golden calf. And the slight irony of asking to build a golden calf is that the Egyptians to whom they had been enslaved to for 400 years Worshipped a, a false god called Apis, who looked a little bit like a bull. And this golden calf that the people asked Aaron to build for them probably looked something like Apis. And the irony is this God had showed himself to be powerful and sovereign over the gods of Egypt, including Apis, when he sent the plague over the livestock. Yet, in their waiting, they returned to a worthless and false God who had been shown to be useless and powerless. It turns out that rescue from Egypt was actually the easy part. Getting Egypt out of the people proved tricky. And in Acts chapter 7, much later in the Bible, it says this, In their hearts... They returned to Egypt. There's something that happened in their waiting where they returned to their pre-redemptive days. They returned to to wanting to live like they had seen before. And they started to worship a God that had been proved to be false and worthless. And the reality is, so they say to Aaron, come on, Aaron, build this. And Aaron is very complicit in this. So to make this golden calf, Aaron says to them, bring me your gold they had to give up something very, very precious to them in order to make this gold, a a treasured possession. They sacrificed a treasured possession. They gave their, their money effectively to build a worthless golden statue over worshiping God, the one who had rescued and redeemed them. And so Aaron makes this golden calf for them uh, and later on, he tries to deny to Moses that he did it, which is quite hilarious. You can read about that in verse 24 and just see the comparison between what actually happens and how Aaron describes it later to Moses. So they build this gold, the golden calf and then Aaron builds a, an altar so that they can worship and bow down to it. I mean, this is going badly, badly wrong. And verse six then tells us this. It says the people rose early once the golden calf had been built and they sacrificed to it. They invested their energy and their time and their attention into this golden calf. They rose early. People tend to find a way of rising early for the things that are really important to them. Israel was willing to sacrifice its money through gold, its time by rising early to worship this golden calf because in their waiting, they had allowed their hearts to wander from worship and they chased after worthless gods. Psalm 106 brilliantly summarizes what is actually going on behind the scenes here. Psalm 106 says this, "'They made a calf in Horeb and worshiped a metal image. "'They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their saviour, who had done great things in Egypt. It was bad enough that they had built a golden calf, which broke one of the Ten Commandments. But what is really going on here is that they had exchanged the glory of God for a worthless metal image. What a tragedy. They had seen God's glory. They had seen God's power and they chose to exchange it for a very poor substitute. And so God sends Moses down the mountain to go and deal with his people. And it's only God's mercy and the intercession of Moses which stops there being a total wipeout. And you can read later in in this chapter that there is judgment on the people as a result of their sin, but not that which God could have justly done in order to punish what they had done because of his great mercy and because of Moses' intercession. Doesn't it just seem ridiculous and slightly impossible that after seeing God rescue and redeem them, after he had won victory over the worthless gods of Egypt, after he had parted the Red Sea and revealed himself to them, after he had made a covenant relationship With them, that in their waiting for just 40 days, they had given their money, their time and their energy to worshipping a golden calf, a worthless and futile false God. And if we're being honest, we can be tempted to judge the Israelites in this moment. After all that God has done, how on earth can they respond like this? But the Exodus story is not a history lesson. The Exodus story is in fact our story and the story that is being woven throughout the world today and your story and my story. You see, if you are watching this and you are a Christian today, Jesus has rescued and redeemed you from slavery to sin. He's led us into freedom. He's made us his covenant people. He's written his laws on our hearts and he's given us his presence through the Holy Spirit. And yet, let's get really real and honest. Don't our hearts wander just like the Israelites? especially in seasons of waiting and delay. Isn't it so easy that we find ourselves giving our time and our energy and our attention to things other than God? Don't we find ourselves not dissimilar to the Israelites here in chapter 32? When God seems slow to move, when our prayers don't seem to make any difference, when our dreams and desires don't seem to come true when we're struggling with our health or our finances, how easy is it for us to drift back towards our Egypt, just like the Israelites did, or to pursue a path of independence from God. Friends, we are not so different from ancient cultures. Sure, we may not physically kneel before a statue or a golden calf, But every culture in every era is dominated by a set of idols or false gods which are worshipped in our culture. We live in a culture of worship. We might not think we do. Our culture bows to the gods of consumerism and escapism, of comfort and money, individuality, freedom of expression, sex, sexuality, power. These are gods and idols of our age because people think that by coming to them, and giving themselves to them, they will find fullness of life, fruitfulness, security, and purpose. But it is not an out there issue. It's an in our hearts issue too. Tim Keller in a great book called Counterfeit Gods, he talks about what an idol looks like. He says, what is an idol? It's anything that is more important to you than God anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. It can be family or children or career or making money or achievement or critical acclaim or saving face or social standing. It can be a romantic relationship, peer approval, competence, skills, secure and comfortable circumstances, your beauty or your brains, a great political or social cause, your morality and virtue or even success, in Christian ministry. He says, an idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, I'll feel my life has meaning and then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. Friends, the issue of idols and worshiping false gods and going after those things is not out there, but in here. Let me just give you a couple of examples. Sarah and I are currently in the process of moving house or trying to move house. We sold ours, we're trying to buy a property. And as any of you that have tried to buy and sell properties will know, it's a very slow process. There's a lot of waiting. It feels very, very delayed all the time. But just over the course of this week, as I've been gearing up to prepare for this, I have realised just how much our time and energy and attention is being consumed by this one thing. There are hours and hours of us looking at Rightmove. It's not uncommon that I'll be out on a prayer walk and I just get out my phone and have a cheeky little look at Rightmove just to see what might have come up. It's getting my time and my attention. It's the focus of our discussion in our household, so much so that our eldest child, Ella, she's like, would you please stop talking about houses? It's getting our attention and our priorities. Is it a good thing that we want to move house? That's fine. Is it right that it's become front and centre? No, it's subtle. But I think God is really speaking to us about this personally, just about how we've allowed in a moment of delay and waiting something to trump prayer and trusting in the things of God. During lockdown, I really noticed that on particularly on days of rest, days I wasn't working, I was so, so restless. I would just wander around the house aimlessly, not knowing what to do. And I really felt like God spoke to me in that moment, in those days, of just saying, stop having to achieve something. Stop having to perform. Stop having to be, to do things. Stop needing to be needed. And I really felt like God said that's an issue of worship. You actually worship needing to be needed. You worship having to achieve something at the end of the day rather than resting in my goodness and my promises over your life. Let's go to something a little bit more hard-hitting. Let's just think about relationships. Maybe you have a desire for marriage, but the process seems slow. You can't find the right person, and it's hard. And so in your waiting, you pursue a relationship that you know is not honouring to God. And what it actually reveals is that they, that relationship has become more important than your relationship to God, who has rescued and redeemed you. Idols can be obvious or subtle. They can be big or small. They can be, they can be good things that become the ultimate thing that we are chasing after and seeking after above worship to God. So what do we do? How do we guard our hearts, especially in moments of waiting and delay? How in this cultural moment and this global moment that we're in as we face this coronavirus pandemic, how can we respond in the moment of waiting and uncertainty with true worship to Jesus rather than pouring our time and energy and money and attention in pursuit of things other than Jesus himself? And I just want to give three very practical ways that we can do this, all beginning with R, hopefully easy to remember. The first is this recognize when your heart is drifting. John Calvin once described the human heart as an idol factory. This is a universal human problem that all of us face, where our attention and our energy and our efforts drift away from God to other things. And so, the first thing that we need to do in these moments is to guard our hearts and watch over our lives and recognize that sometimes our hearts are drawn to drifting, especially in seasons of waiting and delay. What gets your energy and attention and money and time and focus in the waiting? Let's look at Proverbs, which says this above all, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. In the Exodus 32 story that we've read today, in their delay, they, they invested their money and their time and their energy into worshiping this golden calf. What's your golden calf? What's my golden calf? Things that will get your time and energy and attention more than your rescuer and your redeemer and your friend, Jesus Christ. And like I said earlier, it might be small and very subtle, As Winnie the Pooh once said, sometimes the smallest things can take up the most room in your heart. What a great quote. Firstly, recognize when your heart drifts. Secondly, we need to learn to reorientate our loves. Worship is fundamentally an issue of the heart. And so what we need to do is we need to reorientate our hearts and our loves and our desires. The Scottish preacher Thomas Chalmers once said this, reason and willpower are not enough. The only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. We need a reformation of our hearts so that our old affections are replaced by a greater love. Love for Jesus Christ. And this is the heartbeat, isn't it, of Christian discipleship. How do we reform and reorientate our hearts? We do that by establishing the patterns and rhythms and habits of Jesus. We learn to live like he did, day by day, prioritising time with the Father, spending time in his word, leaning into him in prayer, resting in God this is the process of a lifetime. Spiritual formation and reformation and reorientating our hearts and our loves is a slow process. It cannot be rushed. It cannot be rushed. There's no shortcut to learning to walk with Jesus each day and inviting him to reorientate, to reshape and to redefine our hearts and our loves and our desires. As I heard someone share this week, walking with Jesus daily will result in great blessing and great fruitfulness in your life. And finally, and most importantly, we need to rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. In the Exodus story, Moses represents Jesus. And we read earlier on that Moses stands in the gap and he intercedes for his people. And because of Moses standing in the gap and his intercession saved God's people from destruction and judgment, hundreds of years later, Jesus stands in the gap, hanging on a wooden cross, now interceding for us before the Father, And by standing in the gap, he has delivered us from darkness into life, from death into life and from slavery into freedom. You can rest in what he has accomplished on the cross, that he has forgiven you past, present and future when you put your faith and your trust in him. All of your sin and your shame has been paid for at the cross and therefore you can rest in his work and in what he did through his death and resurrection. That is the power of the gospel. We cannot fix ourselves, but we can come through Jesus and know forgiveness and reconciliation and redemption because Jesus has stood in the gap and therefore we can rest in him and who he is. And the paradox of walking with Jesus is this that as we learn to lay down our lives, we find true life. As we learn to give things up, we find true freedom. As we invite him to be all in all, and we give ourselves in wholehearted devotion to him, as we give ourselves up in complete surrender, that's when we know freedom and life. Jesus knows that the idols and gods of our culture can never satisfy. They promise much but deliver little. They promise freedom, but actually we end up in slavery. They promise fullness of life, but they rob us. Jesus has come to liberate you. He has come to set you free. He's come to give you true life. And we, you and I can rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Let's recognise when our hearts drift away from God. Let's seek to reorientate our loves around him and let's rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Amen.